The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to another Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. As always, we have P-Nate and Pootie. I did that backwards this time for more fun. Nice. Here for your listening enjoyment. It looked looked fun. It was quite enjoyable. (laughs) For your listening enjoyment here, we are, for the 10 of you that are listening, I'm sure. I don't know. We are the Rebel Alliance. Did I not say that? I don't know. I have no idea. That's who we are, though. That is who we are. We're feeling a little out of sorts today. It is a snowy day in Canada, believe it or not. It always happens once after the Easter long weekend. I know. That we get it's one horrible. snowfall and it's always terrible. It's always the worst one we've had all year. We literally walked into Garage Mahal today and said Canada sucks. <laughs> now, we don't actually mean that. Well, part, you we you say that do. quite often, but it's usually something to related to like Trudeau. You're like or Canada the- sucks because today you just were blanket statement Canada sucks weather yeah. related. It was weather-related today. It's often Trudeau-related, but uh, today, weather-related. But we are here, and we're recording another podcast, which always brings a smile to my face. So I'll just pretend it's sunny outside and say, hello, Rebel Nation. Rebel Nation, I like it. Yeah, there you go. I thought I thought that might catch on. We should get some t-shirts. Get on that. Done. <laughs> Done. Look out next week for t-shirts for sale at rebelalliancemedia.com. And by next week, he means many weeks in advance. So uh, we are the Rebel Alliance Media. If you are just getting to know us, uh, find us on Facebook, like the page, rate the page, uh, start sharing our content. Uh, It helps us tremendously. And uh, we love having such engaged listeners. So thanks so much for all of you who have been joining us. Uh, We're also proud members of the Berean Media Network. So this is a, a group of four podcasts who uh, push each other's content. Uh, you'll find sound theology and uh, a lot of camaraderie and iron sharpening iron. Our, our buddies there uh, coming out on Mondays are the Front Pew. Uh, they've been doing an awesome series on uh, on just b- bad theology. Uh, their episode this week, which uh, just came out two days ago from when we're recording this episode, is uh, If You Build It, They Will Come, right? Bad Theology, If You Build It, They Will Come, which is a tip of the hat to a great movie. Great movie. Great movie. Feel the dreams. And uh, But it was a great episode, and uh, just kind of talking about the, uh, the, the um, bad theology and feeling like if you build something big and great, great ministries and great church, people will come to you as opposed to the call, the mandate to go and make disciples. Yeah. It's a good episode. It, that is a good episode. I haven't actually listened to it myself yet. Mm, um, well, the problem is work. Yeah. It always, it it's puts always the, hamper. the problem. I'm always delayed, but I, lo- I love the idea of that because I can get sucked into that trap. Totally. Where it's just like, oh, you know, if I just do this much better, if I just take over this thing and I make this great event, people are going to get saved by the dr- the numbers full. And I forget the fact that it's 
nothing that I do that makes this happen. Mm, yeah, that's good. It's good. Sounds like you're sitting on the front pew there, Pootie. <laughs> <laughs> Our other two podcasts, along with the Rebel Alliance, are The Layman, also come out on Mondays for the uh, the doubleheader, and uh, the Two Thieves podcast. Both episodes that just dropped are about guns. So, you know, we're in an American network, so <laughs> we just got to get used to that, hey, Pootie? Like... Like they're just talking about their guns. Yeah, or? they're just they're just talking about the many many guns that they have at home and in their pockets and on their holsters and am, am you know I, the Uzis and such. Am I the only member of the Bree Media Network who's like not a gun guy? Yes, repent. So I, I probably have to. I probably have <laughs> no, to. No, no. So no, they're talking about gun control, and uh, I mean they're all hitting it from a very biblical angle, and that is that guns aren't the problem. And even though you're you know a lefty. It, <laughs> gun control uh, I, I, I jest um, but uh, we all agree we all agree that uh, guns aren't the problem uh, that the human heart is a problem um, and so anyway those have been some good episodes and uh, the thieves kind of branch into uh, self-defense in general layman talked about a bunch of current events and stuff so anyway that's the Berean Media Network we would really encourage you to go and uh, and check out some of our friends there and uh, and listen to those podcasts it's great stuff yeah speak, speaking of guns I feel like we could do this all the time as rebel news, but another attempted mass shooting happened yeah. this that, this week. Did you hear about this one? The YouTube? yeah, you just told me about it as we came into Garage Mahal here. Yeah, so so tell me the story. So it was a YouTube content creator. Is that the idea? Yeah, from from what I've patched together, I do apologize if I get any of the details wrong. Yeah. But it's just happened, uh, you know, a day yesterday uh, and. Yeah, I just I just found out about it. I just found so out about it today. So um, basically, what happened is a, a, a YouTube content creator, um, a female, don't know her name, doesn't matter, um, was upset with the fact that her content was being demonetized on on YouTube. Mm. Um, I don't claim to understand exactly what happened there, but right. um, there have been some people who have lost a lot of their funding from YouTube. Yeah. Well. In reaction to that, she decided to take a gun and go into their head office and start shooting. Um, thankfully, to the best of my knowledge, there isn't anyone other than herself dead. Um, there are some people who are injured, um, and we we always praise God for those small, like those mercies in those right. situations. That it's not actually as bad as it maybe could have been. What I found interesting about this one, though, is that. While it was happening, there was like live tweets going out about it of people who being like, I'm this is happening right now and I'm barricaded in an office, which just blows my mind that people this is their first thought is not call home, right. not talk to their friends, not to their families. Like, right. I'm going to live tweet about this and see if I can get followers on Twitter. <laughs> so it just blows my mind. But um so I mean, I don't know if we know any of this stuff, but was she demonetized because she's conservative? Because I know that's been a big thing at YouTube. Yeah, the, from what I've what, what I can piece together um, is that's what happened. Is that which whatever content she was putting out, part of their new algorithm for who gets money and who doesn't get money, she fell on the other side, which generally leads me to think that she's posting something that's conservative, right? Because um, a lot of what I've read is a lot. It's a lot of the conservative people who have been demonetized on their on their right. youtube stuff people i hope somebody who knows better than us can can maybe yeah, yeah. correct or point out well, exactly what happened but this is the way she reacted to it yeah yeah so i mean so here's what i'll say since we don't know all the facts i would just say number one um you know let's as conservatives let's as christians n n fight the temptation to jump on and kind of defend her or or use this as a platform to like slap the hands of youtube 
Um, there is a whole thing going on where they are demonetizing uh, conservative content creators, and that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, regardless of where she falls on kind of the political or religious spectrum, what a bad reaction to like, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like, you know, that you're demonetizing my conservative values. So I'm going to come in and shoot you up like way to shoot us in the foot there. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't help anybody. Yeah. This is no. not not the right reaction. Um, and that, that's kind of what we where we wanted to go with that is that like, what is the right reaction in, in the situation? Something like this happens. This podcast exists to think biblically about these. Yeah. If this was a Christian lady, obviously it probably was not. But if this was to happen to say us, if we got shunned off the internet for what we're doing here, the yep. correct response is, is to suffer that right. as, a, as a Christian, to suffer yeah. the, the persecution and continue to do and speak truth in whatever form and content you can do. Right. So Paul, Paul says, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 6 when he's talking about uh, lawsuits and stuff, he says, you know, why not just suffer loss? Right. Like, why not take this hit, essentially, if I can paraphrase Paul. So, you know, whether it's, you know, all of the the various um, ways in which we would suffer materially or physically for our uh, commitment to the gospel or the commitment to spreading Christian values in whatever form we see. um, Yeah. I I mean, it's just a given going into a hostile world. Uh, you're going to suffer. Your reputation is going to suffer. Your relationships are going to suffer. You're, you you could lose your job. You could lo- be passed over for a promotion. You could get demonetized on YouTube. Um, whatever the case may be, um, I think we have to. That's something we need to be willing to suffer for the gospel and not cause other people to suffer in response to our suffering. Christians ought to wear, you know, there's that uh, in, I think it's Acts chapter 6, when uh, after the apostles get arrested and beaten, uh, it says that they they left there rejoicing that they're counted worthy to suffer for the name, right? And so, you know, that's their response to getting beaten and imprisoned is rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer uh, for the name of Jesus. It's a high honor, and we've lost that. We've yeah. lost that concept. We we now think of suffering in, 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 all, in our context, in our cultural suffering for the Christian is somebody took my parking spot at church. Right. I mean, like, you know, last week I had to sit in the middle pews, not the yeah, left I side get pews. My end. I, I couldn't get my end of the row seat. Like I'm persecuted yeah. right now because there was guests in my spot. Yeah, yeah. Like I can't handle that. Yeah. So that's <laughs> tongue in cheek, obviously, but that's kind of how we think of it. We don't, we don't really understand what, like, like the apostles, what real persecution is. Right? Yeah, absolutely. In our culture. Um, so uh, another thing that, uh, let's, let's keep rebel news in Silicon Valley here for a second, because, um, here's another one that, uh, the daily caller reported, uh, last week that, uh, they had contacted Twitter after it became known, uh, that Twitter had removed an ad from a pro-life group called the human coalition. Uh, so Twitter removed their content, their ad, which was paid for. Um, they removed it, uh, claiming that the content was inappropriate. So this pro-life ad was inappropriate. So there are two ads that were pulled. One of them, uh, that was removed, uh, basically just said that abortion isn't healthcare. That was the headline. And it went on to say that, uh, you know, it's, uh, abortion is actually the intentional killing of another human being. And it contradicts the Hippocratic oath. Hippocratic oath is the oath that doctors take not to do harm. And, uh, and so that was one of the ads, which I actually think is a pretty 
good and clever ad. I think that's absolutely, not only is it true, but it's actually, it's, it's jarring. It catches attention as is this one. So the second ad that was pulled was, um, the, uh, they mentioned basically that the leading cause of death in the Afri- African American community in North America is abortion but that it never comes up during the national discourse about racism. And then kind of a subheading to that was how 80% of Planned Parenthood abortion mills operate in racial minority uh, neighborhoods. So I think this is all stuff like those, those two ads are actually very specifically kind of targeted to jar or to grab the attention of the left, right? Who immediately latch on to, oh, whoa, whoa, racism? What's that? What's that about? So this is actually bringing the pro-life conversation into areas that I think are um, conversations that the left are quick to get into. So I think they were actually great ads and, and it's interesting that they're paid for ads, pro-life message and Twitter remove them because they're deemed inappropriate. Yeah. I, I find it. I, I have a couple issues with this on the Twitter side. First, first thing is to the best of my knowledge, things like Facebook and Twitter are supposed to be neutral. So they're right. supposed to be politically left and right. They're not supposed right. to be taking sides by pulling down something that isn't inciting hate. I can understand if this article came out and was somehow trying to inflame people into like violence or right. riots or protests. You could pull that down just because it's a safety issue. But this isn't doing that. This is it's an article that's trying to have a discourse about truth, basically what yeah. what abortion is. And Twitter is now making the stand yeah. say, well, we don't, that, that doesn't line up with our values. So we're going right. to pull that down. So I have a problem with it, with it there. I find, I find that very interesting. The other thing, the other part of it that I have a very big problem about is the idea of like, if Twitter is, is playing that, playing that game, we need the racist part. Basically, we, we need to be talking about that because that's very true. Yeah, the fact absolutely. that more African American babies are are aborted and killed in the womb than I believe if my if my stat is in any other walk of life combined. Yeah, in every single year, this is a this is a very big cultural problem that we have that's largely ignored. Right. So. Well, and so you're absolutely right. So that it actually, that leads into the last thing I wanted to say for Rebel News. But um, let me just respond to that. I think you're absolutely right in that Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, they've all claimed to be unbiased news sources or, or social, you know, social uh, media communities where freedom of speech is, is allowed and all that kind of stuff. But now what we're seeing with Facebook censoring certain news articles, right? Now what we're seeing with YouTube demonetizing, we're seeing Twitter take down pro-life ads. They're, they're showing their hands, which is fine. They're privately owned companies. They're, you're, you're completely okay to be biased, but be upfront about your bias, right? Mm. So you're right in that they, they, the problem here is their claim to neutrality. Now, as Christians, we should recognize there is no such thing as neutrality. So we ought, we ought to figure out whether or not it's worth fighting on these platforms or do you create your own kind of, you know, a new platform. And I've, I've seen a bunch of Christians like, what, you know, what Christian or what conservative social media site, and I'm sure they're, they're coming up, but I'm sure they're also going to be horrible. I think what we ought to do is keep pushing for freedom of speech on the venues. And quite honestly, lean into it, lean into your worldview, lean into your Christian message, lean into your pro-life message and get booted off. 
You know, that, that ought to be a goal. Hey, if the, if the rebels get kicked off of these social media platforms, I feel like we're doing something right. Yeah. When we got banned for a little bit for on the global feed yeah. on Facebook, which is, was only temporary, but it was just on that. I think it was on the one thing. That was a great day for us. We yeah. were high fiving about that. Yeah, absolutely. Because that, that's how Christians should be engaging on Facebook nicely with love, but speaking truth in all, in all things. Yeah. I, I think a big problem, like you're kind of saying, I big problem is that we're, we're not Christians in large aren't great at social media. Yeah. We either no, disengage from it completely, which leaves this whole avenue, which is the way people communicate, the way culture fights battles cultural now. battles now yeah. is social media. We've talked about that on this podcast. Like, so either Christians are pulling themselves out, which is a bad reaction, yep. or we're just very bad witnesses on it. Yep. And I think there needs to be some discernment in the way we act, but disengaging from social media isn't the Christian response to right. it. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, so that leads to the last thing I wanted to say uh, before we jump into our the rest of our content today. That That is that I actually got a message being called out a little bit on um, something that we said on Rebel News last week's episode. So oh we were talking about the um, how... Planned Parenthood had tweeted out that they wanted to see a Disney princess who had had an abortion, who was gay, who was transgender, all that kind of stuff. And we had talked about how movies used to be neutral and now they're they're taking these stances. And, and basically the, the, this listener just kind of called me out and just said, I thought you guys said there was n- neutrality was a myth, right? So even here, we're talking about social media being <laughs> neutral uh, avenues. So I agree. There is no such thing as neutrality. It's a myth of neutrality. But my point is, is that the world thinks that there is neutrality. And so we ought to hold them to that. If they say, you know, uh, sports, for example, is neutral. It, well, it used to be that the NFL was far more neutral, but now it's been politicized with the taking a knee and all that kind of stuff. What's really happening there is they're just showing their true colors, right? So it's never been neutral. But the, neutri- the, the myth of neutrality is wearing off, right? The, the facade, I should say, of neutrality mm-hmm. is wearing off. So there is no such thing as neutral. Everybody operates out of their worldview, right? Culture is the, um, is the externalization of religion is what Doug Wilson told us when he was on here. So, um, so that is everybody has an inward religion, an inward set of, of values, religious values, um, and we live it out. That's what that's what culture is around us. So there is no neutrality. But what we ought to do, and this is why I was saying with the Disney princess thing, is I'm glad. I'm glad that the um, the bias opinions of Planned Parenthood, of Twitter, of of Disney are showing themselves because I think that once the facade of neutrality wears off, you can engage in war easier. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's hard to engage with somebody who isn't taking a side. It's disingenuous of them not to take a side because we all have a side. But that's my point is that the more politicized, the more the NFL, Disney, um, you know, Silicon Valley social media sites tip their hands, the more the battle becomes obvious. And I think what that will do is kind of uh, wake up some of the apathetic Christians who aren't engaged in the war yet. And, and hopefully get them actually fighting. So anyway, I just wanted to address that because I thought it was a good call out. I, I love when our listeners call us out on things we say. Yeah, totally. Like, I agree. Like, I don't want you to, but I, mean, like, just yeah. like, I don't want to say things I that love, are worthy to be called out. Let me rephrase. I love when you guys do that to Nate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I'm teasing. Um, okay. So, Let's take a break. Yeah, we're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, uh, this episode is all about just kind of recapping what we've learned in the Truth Apocalypse so far. So um, let, come back after break and we'll hit that topic. Thank you. 
The Rebel Alliance podcast is about discipleship, bringing the gospel message about how to interact in a biblical way with your family, friends, coworkers, and your culture. Would you like to be a part of this? Rebel Alliance Media is looking for financial sponsors. A one-time gift, a monthly donation, whatever you like. Contact the Rebels at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. That's info at rebelalliancemedia.com. Are you afraid to open the last book of your Bible? Do you think you need special revelation to understand the book of Revelation? Are you scared you'll get left behind trying to understand all that symbolism? Are you afraid your brain might rupture trying to figure out when the rapture will happen? Relax. We've got good news for you. The book of Revelation is filled with many symbols and much imagery, but you can gain understanding by learning fundamental rules of interpretation and applying them properly to the biblical text. Let Pastor Nate Wright guide you through his Eschatology 101 video series. Check it out at rebelalliancemedia.com eschatology. That's Eschatology 101 with Nate Wright at rebelalliancemedia.com eschatology. Welcome back. Uh, thanks for uh, sticking with us here. And uh, so what we wanted to do is we've been, uh, you know, I, I was about to say knee deep, but it feels like we've been waist deep in uh, the Truth Apocalypse for several weeks now. And it's just been a flurry of guests. So it's great to be sitting in here just with you, Chris. Br- brings me back to our roots, man. Just wafted in. Wafted. <laughs> Um, But we have, we've had a flurry of guests and good guests and we've had some great episodes and, uh, and getting a lot of good traction um, and uh, just good dialogue behind the scenes. But what we wanted to do is just kind of slow down the pace a little bit. We have another guest uh, that we're excited about for next week and uh, some guests lined up for the weeks to come. So we want to slow down the pace and just stop and gather our thoughts and remind ourselves of some of the things that we've learned through the truth apocalypse. So just for our listeners who may have joined us part way or if you've even if you've been with us, the whole idea of this series is we wanted to take a look and, you know, the, the whole point of this podcast is to engage culture and to help equip you to engage culture with a biblical worldview. And as we've been doing that over the first year of this podcast existing, uh, we've just noticed how many of the cultural lies that we've been looking at have seeped their way into the church. And so we wanted to hit specific uh, lies that we see that are prevalent in the culture and bring in some guests to help us think biblically about those particular things. So uh, we had on uh, Tim Bailey, who came and talked to us about sexual orientation and uh, homosexuality and effeminacy and all that kind of stuff. Uh, We had uh, Chocolate Knox come in and talk to us about racism. We had uh, Jay Brunsma on, and he talked a little bit with us about uh, just the importance of churches preaching expositionally um, and, uh, and just focusing on theology and, and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And then last week we had Erica Van Brimmer from the Awakening Reformation podcast on to talk about feminism. So we've had some big topics and let's just kind of sort through them, remind our listeners what we talked about in each episode maybe, and just kind of bring together some practical resolutions of, of where we've been. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds great to me. So, so I mean, 
<clears throat> the first guy who came in and uh, we, you know, Truth Apocalypse series started off with a bang, as they say, with uh, with our buddy Tim Bailey, uh, <laughs> who who authored The Grace of Shame. And he basically came in and we were talking about uh, um, sexual orientation and effeminacy. And uh, one of the lies that the church has bought into is this idea that um, we can identify as gay Christians, right? So we talked about how the church has bought into the lie of sexual orientation, right? The Bible assumes, and this is one of my favorite quotes of Tim Bailey, right? Your gender is your body parts. <laughs> Great quote. He's a super quotable guy. Um, but and, and so he's basically saying that's what the Bible teaches. And yet the church has bought into this lie that gender is, is um, something that you can identify with and, and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So he basically came in and, and put an end to that. And he just said, no, this is what the Bible says. And we've bought into the lie. The minute we start allowing people to identify in different categories, whether that be transgenderism or even identifying as gay Christians or this is my sexual preference and all that kind of stuff. He says, we've surrendered language and territory to the enemy. And, and, and now we're standing on their worldview trying to argue biblically when we've already given up our foundation. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was very interesting as well. The, the part that I really loved about Bailey's episode was when he broke down the idea that thinking biblically about this, this issue is thinking in terms of like how the the Sermon on the Mount idea, where it's like just by thinking those, those yeah, thoughts, that's, right. that's where the sin is. The right. action is the result of the sin that's already been in your heart. I think James says it that way as well. Like when, when tempted, sin will be birthed out, but you're already... You've right. already committed it in your heart. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying in the, on the Sermon on the Mount. I thought that was Bailey, like when he was breaking it down, because I had to listen to it a couple of times because there's so much there. Yeah. Um, and that's the part that I took the most out of it that, that I feel like we've lost in the church, especially on this issue of sexual sexuality, where we start equating the sin to the action when it's the that's heart right. condition. That's, that's right. the sin in the first place. And which is where I think guys like Bailey called out guys like Keller and yeah, Zion well, God and they, that where they're kind of dropping the ball on that issue. Yeah. So two things, I mean, number one, he was great at, at kind of, I mean, he's, he's a, a really learned guy, right? So he's looking at the original Greek, uh, and he's saying that our, even our Bible translators have let us down because in that sin list of first Corinthians six, he says there are two words there, right? I, I can't remember the one for homosexuality, but the other one is malakoi, which just means soft men, literally. Mm -hmm. And so um, old translations like NASB or King James, they translated those two words as two different things, effeminate and homosexual. But then he says newer translations like the ESV and the CSB, what they've done is they've squished those two things together, assuming that they are the uh, for lack of a better phrase, the giver and the receiver in, in homosexual sex. Um, and so, and so they sandwich those two Greek words together into one English idea. And that is homosexual practice, right? So in other words, sodomy, in other words, you know, and so what he's saying though, is when you do that, you've made just the action, the sin, whereas every other sin, like you're saying it's not just the action, but it's the heart condition. Jesus can't, comes along and he says, you know, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, anybody who looks lustfully at another woman has committed adultery in his heart. He says this, the same thing with don't murder. Well, if you have anger in your heart towards a brother, you've committed murder in your heart towards him. So every other sin, biblically speaking, 
it starts in the heart and it works its way out. And yet with, with homosexuality, we've said to, we've said to gay people, we said, as long as you live a celibate lifestyle, you don't practice homosexuality, then there's no sin there. And what Tim Bailey was, was bringing us back to is no, we don't do this with any other sin. There's a sin of softness. There's a sin of effeminacy that starts in the heart and works itself out. And we need to cut that root out because we're not doing anybody any favors. And he's even saying, we're not loving homosexuals if we allow them to live with a heart full of sin and then just ask them not to practice because um, all we're doing is becoming legalists at that point we're saying don't do the action but you know sin with your hearts um, and yeah. and so I, I just thought that was absolutely that's what we've been doing yeah, and, he, and I'm guilty of that yeah he likened it to like almost like a, fa- a pharisaical like way yeah. of life like just don't do it and just keep going through the motions and you'll be okay right whereas like Nowhere in scripture is that the message, right? Like just, uh, just white knuckle it and you'll be fine. It's always repent and depend on the grace of God to get you through and overcome this, the, these things. And I just find it, I found that very interesting when Bailey was like, cause I'm guilty of this all the time. You know what I mean? Just thinking, Oh, as long as they don't, as long as they don't do it or anything like that. Like I I know in my mind that that's not right, but like, I don't, I don't want to call it out. I don't want to, whereas Bailey was just like, no, the problem is that the church we're not, stopped, calling it we're not calling it. That's out exactly we're, right. we're backing down on the on this issue because we feel like we're losing the fight. Right. And we don't need to. Right. And I think um, so his book is called The Grace of Shame. And I think that that was one of the most profound things in that interview and in that book for me was basically what he's saying is this all boils down to the fact that we've tried to we, we've tried to call homosexuals to repentance without the shame and shame is, is a necessary and, and mm. merciful component to uh, God's dealing with our sin. It's, it's one of the things that leads us to repentance. So nobody, no good pastor would sit in a counseling session with a, um, a, a married couple, one of whom has had an affair, and do everything that they can to make the, the man or the woman who's, co- who's committed adultery to not feel shame for what they've done, right? Shame is a grace of God that leads us to repentance. And so what we've done with the issue of homosexuality is we've tried to take all the shame out of it. And you've probably, if you're listening to this, you've probably heard pastors, maybe your pastor, maybe you've heard me preaching uh, on this. And I, I can think of times when I've said, you know, that, uh, that we, you know, that there's an ickiness to, to homosexuality. We need to get over that. We can't, you know, we, we can't uh, make gay people feel such shame for what they've done. And we don't do that about anything else. There's nothing else. And there's no other sexual perversion in scripture that we would say, hey, it's cool if we identify. So, you know, there's the gay Christians and it's a whole livingout.org with Sam Albury that he called out as well. And uh, there's no other, like we don't allow people to identify as an adultering Christian, right? Or or a, uh, a pedophile pedophile Christian, right? We, that we understand sexual perversion is, is grotesque and it ought to be. And yet we've lost that, um, queasiness about homosexuality because it's become so normalized in our culture, but the Bible, the Bible calls it an abomination, right? And so there, there needs to be a hardness that comes back to the way in which we're dealing with this particular sin. That doesn't mean that we hate people or that we're brutal with them or that we're rude with them. But it's actually saying that the most loving thing that we can do for them is help help uh, God heal their heart condition, not just help them abstain from the sinful act. Yeah, I think I think I think that's where people stop listening when we when we start talking about being hard with people. 
it we're not we're not saying you have to be a jerk about it. What no. we're saying is like you can speak truth. And I'll give you an example. We're really good friends. Yep. We would both hopefully have enough respect for each other to call each other on on a, on a sin. I know you've done this to me. I think I've done this probably to you. Yep, you have sure. less sin probably than me, yep. but <laughs> but I mean like it's not like because we're good friends, it's not loving for me just to let you continue on yep. if I see something in your life that needs to be corrected. In fact, that's a way for you to hate me. Exa- exactly, yep. right? You you're actually exactly. I'm actually willfully letting you get farther and farther away from Christ if I don't call you on your on your stuff. Yep, I have right. to be willing to do that. I can do it nicely, but I still have to love you enough to do that. And I, I think we've lost that idea in this area where we just think, I, I just want to pray. I'll just pray for them behind closed doors and hope that God does something without me having to say anything. Right. And I don't think that's that, not the way God operates in any other sphere. <laughs> exactly. No, yeah. no, no other sphere. And uh, I, I also love that. I love the fact that you mentioned it earlier. I want to just back up to the point about shame. You, you can't actually repent unless you feel, unless you feel shame. Unless you're actually ashamed of your sin before God, you're not actually repenting. What you are at that point is asking for a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's right. Without the shame of the fact that you've committed sins against the most holy, you can't repent. It just doesn't happen. There isn't repentance without shame. We've just, Christians have lost the idea that we should feel shameful for our sins, even though we know, because we've basically been preached the gospel for the last 50 years that says, Grace is grace is all you need. Don't worry about what all the bad things right. you do because grace is all you need, which is theologically right. But we still need that repentance to make it genuine. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Um, so anyway, that was that was Bailey, and he rocked our world on that. Uh, and then the week later, a week later, we had Chocolate Knox on, and that was just a, a blast of an interview. But again, came came with some pretty hard realities. Are, are we allowed to talk about these ones? <laughs> <laughs> no, he said we were. He said we were. He said he said that uh, you know that that's one of the lies that we've bought into uh, is the idea that uh, we can't talk about a particular issue. Unless we've experienced it. That's one of the lies of culture, right? You don't get to tell women what to do with their their bodies because you're not a woman. You can't talk about abortion because you're not a woman. You can't talk about racism because you're not black. You can't talk about privilege because, you know, you aren't a minority. Um, You, you know, back up. You can't make a a homosexual feel shame because you're not gay, right? And so uh, one of the first things he did was he said, no, no, we need godly white men, black men, you know, uh, every, every color and creed to be uh, speaking biblical truth into all areas of life, all of the Bible for all of life. And so that was one of the first things that he said. So we're talking about racism with, with Chocolate Knox, and I thought, I thought it was actually really uh, fantastic as he talked about um, kind of the very real, I mean, he didn't, he didn't pull any punches. He just talked about the very real uh, realities of some of the things that he deals with as a black man in everyday like culture. And, you know, the, uh, I think he, he made a reference about, you know, people wanting to touch his hair and, and that whole thing, like, you know, living in a white man's world for, uh, an entire week that when he went to church on Sunday, um, in the black church that he was originally in, that that made him feel comfortable and safe. And, uh, and, you know, how much it took him and his wife and his family to go to a church um, where there wasn't that, 
he went to a church based on is is this a man who loves God who's preaching God's word? That's how he then chose to go to church, and it was uncomfortable for them. It was hard for them, mm-hmm. um, but God was really gracious and led them to a great church. And so he he kind of talked about his story a little bit, but there was a lot that came out of that. So then he he starts talking about how the racism in the culture is essentially reflecting the division that's in our own churches. And he talked about how unique his story was in terms of a a family, a black family being able to be integrated into an otherwise white church, which, yeah, it's uncomfortable for you and I to sit here talking about this. But um, he talked about the difficulties that, uh, that came with that. But, you know, should we be shocked that there's such racial division in the culture around us when that awkwardness and that division exists within our own churches and not just along racial lines, along all kinds of different lines, right? We can't get along. And I think that the comment he made is we divide over carpet, carpet color. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we divide over carpet color. And then we're shocked that people are, are so uh, divided over race in the culture. So I thought that was just a great interview where he brought us there. Yeah, I, I, I love the part. I can't remember if it was right at the beginning now that I'm, I'm thinking back. My memory so bad for this, but where he talked about it shouldn't. We, we continually go out and search for like, oh, I need a, uh, he was talking about the village, not the village, the Acts 29 churches being like, we're looking for uh, black elders, black elders. Yeah. And like, well, when, when in scripture is color or race a requirement after like, where it's like, you can't, you, we can, we only take, you know, African-American elders at this point, point yeah. in time, regardless if they're the most godly or not, or, or are, you know I mean? It's just, it blew, it blew my mind because I, I, I think of this in like, again, something that the church is doing that no nowhere else in the world would do do this no company i've have ever worked for is like wow we, we can't hire this person because we need a manager who's african-american well i mean, like, <laughs> I mean affirmative action kind of does that right and uh, maybe right? yeah and so i i think i mean yeah i get what you're saying but i and i think that's the church uh kind of following the way of culture we've lived in an affirmative action culture for so long i think i think the the point that knox is is trying to make there is the idea that you know the minute we start making those kinds of decisions even if they're correct and people can't see me doing air quotes right now but the correct affirmative like uh, it's it's right for us to be battling racism if we're looking if we're picking elders based on their minority status. But if we went out looking for white elders, that would be considered racist. And the whole point is that he's saying, you know, the Bible puts out the standard that we adhere to, and that standard doesn't include race because in the Church of God, every race and every tribe and every tongue is represented. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I was meaning is like when, when like think when the apostles chose the, the replacement for Judas, if they were like, well, we're not going to cast dice. We're just going to look around and be like, who's the most minority of us? And we'll <laughs> right. choose him. Like, it just doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah. And it it I feels agree. weird that the church is grasping this idea where we need we need to portray something that we're, we're not actually living out just naturally. It just right. seems odd. He, um, one of the things I thought was just really interesting is uh, he was talking about how the New Testament is full of advice for how Gentiles and Jews were to be getting along in the mm, in the yeah, New okay. Testament, and and basically like that racial divide was is way deeper than a black white divide because we're talking about like being unclean, like we're talking about 
holy and unholy. We're talking about, you know, um, and, uh, and so he was just saying, you know, so it was a big deal to Paul and to the New Testament writers that um, the church began to reflect racial harmony. And so if it was a big deal in the first century and here we are 2000 years later and we're still, you know, not quite there yet, we're still not figuring out how to get along racially. Are we that surprised that the culture is so divided? And so anyway, he just, uh, I, I think one of the very practical solutions he gave to us is, you know, when we learn how to get along really well with the people in our church that we disagree with, that look a little different from us, who come from a different socioeconomic background, whatever the case may be, when we start to show diversity and grace within diversity in our churches, you know, then we're going to start to see uh, racial things healed within the culture because it starts with the church. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. And that, and that, and to come like to practically, how do you actually do that? It all begins with prayer. Yeah. So think of those people and we all know them. We all have those people that rub us the wrong way that conflict with us. Honestly, most of the time it's, just, it's the people who are most like us that we conflict the most, I think in the church. So true. But once we start praying for those people, it's very hard to hold a grudge. It's very hard to not think of them in a certain way, in a good way, because that's why we're told to pray for our enemies. Right. Right. And so not that there are enemies, but you know what I mean? Like yeah, that yeah. idea. Um, so then after that, we moved and we had a, uh, a conversation with our buddy, Jay Brunsma, uh, had him in friend of the network, friend of the network, Jay Brunsma. And he came on and kind of shared his story a little bit. And his story was essentially, I'd encourage you to go back and listen if you haven't, but his story was essentially that he grew up in the church, Christian education, church's whole life. Um, and then kind of came to a church that was just preaching expository sermons and realized how little he knew. And, uh, and he and his family have grown immensely. We can say that now that he's not here and we're not making him blush, but I mean, Jay and his family have just been growing by leaps and bounds are doing awesome, awesome things in the Brunsma household. Um, and it's good. And, uh, and so basically we use that to launch into a conversation about some of the lies that we've bought into in our churches. And, and one of the main lies that we kind of talked about was just pragmatism, right? Like churches have figured out a formula for success, right? Preach sermons that tickle people's ears, put on good events, you know, have good coffee in the foyer, have a good, you know, worship ministry that plays upbeat and, and current music. And, you know, people will start coming. And I would, I would just encourage you, if, if this was an episode that you liked, go and listen to the Front Pews episode on If You Build It, They Will Come, um, because they, they, they really get into some of this stuff. And that whole mentality of, you know, we need to attract people here to hear our message. And, uh, and so we just kind of talked about just because it works doesn't mean it's good. The Bible prescribes how we do church and what church ought to look like. And so we talked about the importance of expositional preaching. And uh, I think one of the big, big things that we were saying is God knows better than you do what you need. And, and gaining biblical literacy is always going to help, whether you're, the issue that you're facing right now is, is addiction or um, sexual temptation or, um, you know, marital, uh, you know, adultery, you, whatever the case may be improving Bible literacy and understanding what the Bible says and expositional preaching that's, you know, unashamedly preaching the word of God is always going to help. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think that was my big takeaway from that, from that episode too, is that the, the whole idea, what, whatever you save them to is like, whatever you save them with is what you save them to. That's right. So if we're saving them with a, with a watered down gospel, just because it doesn't offend and we want people to come through, 
we're we're not actually doing them any any favors like we said with the Bailey thing. And I think we see that in Jay. We see that in his in his life up to that point. He went to churches that didn't do what we're saying. They didn't preach the word of God. They didn't teach him what the Bible says about how to live your life. What happens he comes to a church that does do that and we see his life radically changed. Right. All in good ways. Because why? He's starting to hear what the word of God says about how to live your life the way, the way it is by expeditional preaching, by the fact that we know that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. We know that the word of God is what sanctifies, sanctifies us. We know that you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right. Well, the word of God is what does that. Like God works through his word to do that in our hearts. Right. So I think a big lie that we, we tell and we all know these churches because we're, we sometimes can be jealous of these churches. We're just like, man, their worship is so good right. and their coffee, their coffee is amazing. Um, and, and we think about the fact that, well, if we did, if we did what they're doing, we would have the same success. I'm doing air quotes too. Why are we air quoting? <laughs> I don't know. But if we were doing the same things as them, we would have 5,000 people instead of 200 that come to our church. But nowhere in scripture does it tell us to have a big church. It tells us to, to faithfully preach the word right. of God. And it's up to God what happens at that at right. that point. And I, th- I I love that episode because I'm so guilty of that all the time. Thinking Me like, too. you know, I mean, if I just do yeah. this better, if I just do this these things yeah. better, if we just make this ministry run super smooth, yeah, it'll all get taken care of, and we'll see people being saved by the masses. Yeah, and I forget the fact that we like I can I can put on as big a big of event as I want. And it means nothing if, if God doesn't empower it and he hasn't told me to do it. Right. So, well, and yeah, and I think, um, we, we, you and I have to preach this to each other all the time, right? That it's our job to be faithful and God, God deals with the fruit, right? God never calls you to be fruitful. Although I cultural mandate, you know, be fruitful and multiply, but in terms of like bearing fruit in terms of evangelism and spiritual success, he calls you to be faithful he produces fruit. He produces fruit in us. So, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Obedience is our, is Obedience our, is our is job our there, Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. So. Um, and then from there, we went to uh, last week's episode where we had Erica Van Bremer on from the Awakening Reformation podcast. And I, I thought she nailed it. We got so much good positive feedback, especially from some of our uh, female listeners who loved hearing a female voice on here. Uh, but she came on and just killed it. Yeah. Another, another topic that we had to bring somebody on cause we don't feel like we could talk yeah. about it. <laughs> so we were talking about feminism in the church and, uh, and I guess the beauty of complementarity is really what we ended up talking about. So the idea that, um, I, I thought she, she did a great job for a couple of, of reasons. Number one, it's so refreshing to hear a woman who will come on here and, uh, and talk about, uh, the, the goodness of male God-ordained leadership and say, it's, this is good, right? Yeah. To have a woman come on and say that there's beauty in this, there's blessing in this, this is a good thing. Yeah, it was, re- it was refreshing because she, she, a lot of times, and we, get, we even get this in our church, uh, churches where we, we have women who are theologically complementarian, but they, they don't like it. Right. It's one of those things where they just, it's, it's, it's a grind. It, they don't, they don't like it. We know that they've been convinced scripturally, but exactly, it hasn't but they, worked its way into their heart. Exactly. And yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying there's anybody particularly in my mind or anything like that when I'm saying that, but I mean, like we, we all know those, we've, we've had those interactions with those females. Whereas Erica, 
which was just so great. She, she was almost celebrating the idea. Like she was just like, this is what God, how God designed this. And the more I can pour myself into this, this, this doctrine and live it out, the better and more happy and fulfilled I will be. And I thought that was, it was so good to hear because it's one of those things where it's like, you know, truthfully, like is it because we live in such a feminist dominated society it feels it's again, another one of those things, just like sexuality, where it's almost like, I know this is what I have to say and what I have to do, but I, I want to soften it. Right. I want to be like, you can do everything, but right. Whereas, whereas like, and Erica was just like, no, 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 this is exactly what God says. Just do it ladies. <laughs> and here's how. And right. I thought that was yeah, my yeah. favorite she was part. Was like, she was like, here's how, here's yeah, how yeah. you do it. But I thought what was so good is she, uh, when she kind of, I, I thought she dismantled feminism in her, in a really kind of clear way. And she kind of said, um, you know, if, if feminism is about um, your value and worth as a woman, you don't need feminism to tell you that because the Bible tells you that. You are created in the image of God. You are an image bearer of the creator of the universe. That's where you get your value from, not from feminism. And if if what you mean by feminism goes further than 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 simply finding your your worth and your value, but goes into the the realm of second and third wave feminism that would say you don't need a man to be happy and fulfilled, she said that's not true biblically either because men and women complement one another in such a way that together the two of them are image bearers of God and they reflect God in a unique way together, mm-hmm. and women reflect God. Uh, as an image bearer in a unique way that men don't and men in a way that women don't. So there, I just thought she did such a good job with that. Um, I also thought one of, one of the quotes that, uh, that uh, some of the, uh, our female listeners loved, Erica, was, uh, was when she said, uh, you know, we're not close unless you folded my husband's underwear. <laughs> because I, got, I got like three or four text messages today just from people. I'm not people discipling saying, you unless you folded yeah. my, under, my husband's underwear. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. So good. But, uh, so but just that idea of, of closeness. And again, that in a culture that tells women they ought to be a feminist or they're part of the problem, Right. Um, you know, to have her be transparent and say, you know, I've lost friends over this. I've lost relationships with family over this, but God has brought new women into my life. And, um, it just reminds you of, of, uh, Jesus words when he says, you know, I came to divide mother against daughter and, and, you know, father against son, um, divide households, you know, over our allegiance to Christ. So anyway, I thought she did a great job, but once again, she's saying that, um, the feminism and the culture you know, here, here we are, like you and I are in a denomination and we were actually asked to talk a little bit about this, but, um, we're in a denomination that's folded on the area of complementarianism and egalitarianism, right? Like we've, we, we now our denomination, not we, not you and I, we're fighting against it from within, but the, the, we're part of a denomination that now ordains women pastors, uh, allows for, for female elders. And, uh, and so you look at that and you say, okay, why is feminism so rampant in the culture? Well, guess what, guys? The churches caved on the issue of biblical complementarianism long before feminism took root in the culture. And so what I want to wrap all of this stuff up with is the big idea that it's all our fault. Yeah. <laughs> what, what have we learned in the truth apocalypse so far? It's the church's fault. Everything that we're seeing in culture right now is a direct result of where the church has failed in the last several decades. So Francis Schaeffer said that the, uh, the culture is the report card of the church. 
And so as you look out at the, at the culture around us, what do you see? You see wild, radical feminism. You see um, racism, racism that's dividing, racism that's allowing things like Charlottesville to, to take place. You know, white cops shooting black kids and, and, and then, uh, you know, uh, white supremacists rising up to defend the cops. And, and you see, um, you know, uh, all kinds of, uh, you see, you know, not just flagrant homosexuality, not just the pride in homosexuality, but now you're seeing such a radical turn to um, the, the gender politics and identifying and, and 200 some odd different genders. I, I was seeing a, a, one of the genders the other day is is multiple. It was it was originally two spirits. So this is somebody who identifies as having two spirits inside them, but now that was actually. Um, not politically correct enough. So now it's just multiple because you might have more than two, Pootie. So, <laughs> so you're seeing all this wackiness oh, in the culture crazy. around us. But what the truth apocalypse has taught us so far is it starts in the church. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. So why is there racism in the culture? Because we can't get along within our churches. Within the four walls of our churches, we get we disagree with and we, we get into fights with and we gossip and we slander one another. So what makes us think that the culture isn't going to be the same way? Yeah, it, it, all, it all backs up because like it, all of them kind of feed into each other. Why do we have so much feminism in our in our churches and in our culture? Because there's no there's no strong men like right. Bailey said who are in our churches. Right. So what ends up happening is the pastor ends up having to not preach the word of God. He wants to tickle the ears of his congregation. Well, because are, he's being soft. Exactly. Because he's being soft. But who are the people who are engaged in his con- congregation? Probably the women, because the men are right. drifted off to asleep. So he ends right. up preaching go- gospel messages to his women, which makes them more empowered because they're trying to now fulfill the role that the men were supposed to be doing, and it all just keeps so then they, on they, they rise up to areas of leadership because of the absence of strong men and then we allow them to even though the word of god restricts the roles that they can have within the church but we allow them to have exactly. it anyway because we're being soft and we make all these compromises in the church and then they show themselves in the culture exactly and we can't we can't be shocked that we see this in culture no. because like you said if the church isn't living this out, then the, the culture has no chance. Right. So what's going to happen? It's good. They're well, going to take and, it to and a, because to we are we are the mediators, right? Christ is the ultimate mediator, but we are prophets, priests, and kings, right? Under the new covenant, which means that we we ought to be the people who are being covenantally faithful to God, and God will bless the land, the land that he's given to us, right? By our inheritance, right? It's the meek, it's the Christians who inherit the earth, right? Mm. We we have failed covenantally and we have been unfaithful to the covenant and so God, is not, we're not reaping the covenantal blessings that come along with it. And what, what this has opened my mind to, I've been thinking about this over the last couple of weeks. I mean, you think about anything, you know, uh, we look at the uh, the trillions of dollars of debt that Canada, the U.S., we think about even just Ontario. We're in trillions, of, I think it's up to $13 trillion of debt just in Ontario. And we're thinking, you know, this is, this is awful. Why can't the government realize they're spending our money? You know what? Financial unfaithfulness started in the church too. I mean, how many pastors, how many scandals have you heard about about pastors who are taking, you know, uh, money out of the congregation or misappropriating funds or or just straight up 
people not giving, not being obedient to tithe, not being obe- obedient to be cheerful givers. And, uh, and so they're not, they're not sowing financially. If we don't understand that we're spending God's money, how can we understand, how can we expect the culture or the government to understand that they're spending our money? Or you look at, uh, one of the other things that you and I were talking about just the other day is, you know, we, we look at the, um, the, how horrible abortion is in the culture that women who simply don't want to have kids right now, you know what, it would be a nuisance. I didn't want to start my family yet. That's why planned parenthood gets its name. You ought to be able to plan when you're going to have your family. Don't let a nuisance child bother you. Just kill it. That's what they would say. And where did that start? In the church, when we started moving kids out of worship, when we started saying, you know what, it's really distracting having crying kids. Why don't we put them in their nursery? You know, why don't, why don't we... Uh, put them in age-appropriate uh, things so that we can get rid of them. And I'll, I'll just be honest, as, a, as a, a, a father of young kids, it's easier to drop my kids off at Sunday school, it's easier to drop my kids off at nursery. But I, And I'm not saying that you know abortion exists because we have Sunday school. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but, what, but what I'm saying is that when we have viewed our children as a nuisance in our own worship services and we haven't included the children in the covenant gathering uh, of you know a Sunday morning worship services you know what why are we shocked when the culture kills unwanted kids when as a church we're quick to kick them out of our worship service when Jesus said let the little children come to me and don't stop them don't drop them off in the nursery they're not a nuisance don't kill them like we're you know Again, you look at like the, the breakdown of families and the the adultery that is rampant. Uh, where did it start? How many pastors do you know that ran off with their secretaries? How many you know affairs have we seen within the church? So what I'm saying is that the church has failed, and our sin is manifesting itself in the culture because we failed to be the gatekeepers. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And so what we've learned in the truth apocalypse, the church needs to repent and start taking obedience seriously because the culture is never going to um, reflect more obedience than the church does. And how can we expect the culture to look any different than it already does when the church is a mess? Yeah, exactly. Start start looking in internally. Yeah. Let's fix our local gatherings. Let's get them working the way God has ordained them to work. And then we can start thinking about how culture looks and start engaging that. They'll see how we're working. If once they see us do that, they'll, they'll start re- responding to that as well. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So application Pent. Don't suck. Yeah, and then stop <laughs> sinning. Stop sinning. It's yeah. Anyway. Yeah. You, so, you got super fired up there. I get fired and up I don't there, know how yeah. to end it now. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's just end it by saying uh, we're loving the Truth Apocalypse series mostly because of how challenging and convicting it's been for us. It's uh, you know lots of conversations behind the scenes with some of our listeners, but lots of conversations between you and I behind the scenes. I think we're learning a lot. And uh, yeah, and- that we're gonna go fully integrated worship soon. <laughs> Oh, man. We'll see. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. Yeah, come to Crossroads Church in a year. Anyway, have a great one, guys. Yeah. Um, Let's just sign off by saying uh, find us on Facebook, follow, like, share the posts, all that kind of stuff. It helps helps us for sure. And make sure you invite your friends to like the page as well so we can uh, expand our audience. Thanks for joining the Rebellion. Rebellion.